0: You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, December 17, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. I would dare say, and I'm sure many could argue, but I dare say that's probably the unofficial anthem of Christmas the uh when i was uh when i was a kid uh, we used to when we were riding in the car all the time you, you know we we sang christmas carols you, you know uh, my mom was 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 huge into christmas and the uh, we would I, I i knew i knew the words to the christmas songs long before uh, i knew the words to anything but you know christmas is actually an interesting thing you realize that i I didn't realize this. I was actually watching Chris Tomlin a few weeks ago, and I actually I, I thought about it, and it was actually true. You realize Christmas is the only you know, I hate to say the word holiday because it's it's so much more than the holiday. But it's the only holiday that has its own genre of music. You, you know, it's 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 the only it's the only event in history where where it, it's it's not just a few songs here and there. I mean, you can you can probably find some scary song in Halloween or whatever. But but it it actually has uh, it actually has classical music. It has just fun music. It has it, it's, it's, its own genre, you know. Because the birth of Christ was such a significant thing, and, and you know, in the Greek, you know, when we see the angels appearing, you know, it talks about them proclaiming, proclaiming the uh, uh, you know the coming of Christ. And he, you know, I've, I'm not really sure that I think they probably did sing it. It doesn't really. It doesn't really, uh, you, you know, it's not really there and when you look in the original language because there's really not a word there for singing, but it's a, uh, um, but I believe singing did introduce the coming of Christ, and we're still singing about the coming of, Christ, or the birth of Christ to this day. You know, so that's, that, that's exciting, exciting stuff. This week I'm actually going to do what I consider kind of a continuation of, of Eric's message last week the uh eric gave us a very a, a very detailed description of what hanukkah is and again you did did an amazing job I, I mean he really connected the fact that jesus is the light of the world and you know that when we you know hanukkah is it's not just a jewish thing because when you look at, when you read the words of paul you realize that we're we're one family now he, you know the separation things are gone so hanukkah is an us thing just as much as it is a you know a Jewish thing, and, and and ultimately it celebrates the fact that Christ is the light of the world. However, I've never done a I've never done a Christmas sermon about this, and, and I'm not really. And the more I've thought about it, I, you know, I've I've preached a lot of sermons over the years, and even during Christmas, but I've never really focused on what's what's what did the prophets say about it? What what did the prophets say about you know the coming of, of of the Messiah, but I first want to start with this picture this this is this is an amazing picture I, I'm not sure exactly who did this, but the, the little white line at the bottom that represents essentially the Bible from Genesis to revelation. and all those little lines you know that go from one side to the, to the other, those are all connections where where the, where the you know where one references in one place and psh, the line goes over to where it references it someplace else, you know. So all these little all of these little lines, the the they represent the Bible cross referencing itself or alluding or referencing itself. And, and I'll tell you, and when we talk about, and I've done. I've done sermons here about the reliability of the Bible and how, how the fact we, when we look at the sources and, and, and inspiration, how we know that it's true. But, but let me tell you what, and if I were a smarter man, I would be able to remember exactly how many authors there are in the Bible. 66 books, I remember that. The exact number of authors, it's just not at the top of my head. But anytime you get several authors, there is no way that a human where a group of humans could put together something like this. Only something inspired by the word or, or from the mouth of God itself can reference itself tens of thousands of times and still not conflict itself. So, so I mean, what the, the Bible is, it, it, it's, it's an amazing collection of books. It's, it's an amazing collection, and, and it's absolutely reliable. Man could not pull that off. Uh, I mean, he just couldn't. Especially when you look at—it wasn't even written by just one person, who, who like the guy that wrote all the Star Wars things could could tie all these things together. So that you almost have to watch it three or four times to try to figure it out. This this is multiple people over centuries, you know, still tying all of this together, and it doesn't conflict itself. So the Bible is absolutely reliable, and we're going to look at. A lot. We're going to look at several scriptures. You know, I really had to kind of pan through which ones I'm going to use because the Bible, the, the 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 prophets and the writings talk a lot about Messiah. I mean, we could do a sermon series about it, but we're not. We're just going to pick some of the highlights. The highlights here. First of all, we're going to look at the prophet Isaiah. I'm going to reference him a couple times, especially because. Like I said, I believe, at least in my mind, you know, at the end of the sermon, you, you know, um, Eric might say this had nothing to do with what I was talking about last week. But in my mind, these things are connected. You know, so I'm going to be referencing Isaiah because a lot, not only because there's a lot about Messiah, because that's that's where that's 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 a lot where Eric spent a lot of time. Isaiah 7:14. This is one of the most, probably one of the more popular ones. I've probably quoted it three or four times already. Isaiah 7 14, therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the prophet Isaiah, and again when I talked about this in the past, this goes back to Genesis chapter 3 and the you know in the curse. He, you know, you know, he tells, God tells the serpent that it's going to be the seed of the woman who's gonna crush his head. So, you know, this isn't the only time a virgin birth. Is 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 mentioned in the Old Testament, but Isaiah, I, I mean, point blank calls it. You know, he didn't call it the, the seed of the woman. He said a virgin will conceive, and 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 he will be called Emmanuel. So, what do we know from the Gospels? What do we know about the Gospels about the birth of Christ? That he was born of the Virgin Mary. And I tell you, the beautiful thing about the Bible too is it doesn't it, it doesn't try to to change little bits of stories to try to fit it together and make it look better. So let's try to put ourselves in Joseph's shoes for a second. I I talked about this a little bit in Sunday school. You know, if I was writing this book and I was trying to write, you, you know, a, a, a fictitious story, I would make it sound like, oh, yes, the virgin the virgin was, was, was conceived And there, but it's like, oh, Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming, and Joseph's like, yes, I'm going to help raise the, the Son of God. You know, that would have been my version of it. But that's not what happened. Mary comes to Joseph and says, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant. And he's like, what? You know, you're my betrothed, you know, you, 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 you how did you get pregnant? And she's like, "Well, the Holy Spirit came on me, and I conceived of the Holy Spirit." And and Joseph's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa!" You know, I don't know. That's that's kind of a that's kind of a bitter pill. That's kind of a big thing to accept here, Mary. You, you know, and he struggled with this thing. He struggled with this thing. You know, he's like, "You know what? I'm not going to make any rash decisions right now, but Mary, you've got to give me time to process this." You, you, you know, so. Again, in the, in the fictitious story, everybody again like, yeah, Messiah is coming. But even Joseph, the man that God called to raise his son, he's like, I don't know, Mary. I'm just having a hard time buying this. It's, it's a little bit difficult. And, but what did it take? It literally took Gabriel to come and say, you know what? It's true. Mary, Mary is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And, and he will be the son of, of God. You know, so we we see people who would have had a a very intimate uh, connection with the story, like Joseph, who would have who would have celebrated the Virgin. Oh yeah, this is the Virgin Birth, and it's like no, 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 there's something wrong. You, you, you know, so it's we see that for them to record it in this way, that Mary was pregnant and was on the verge of being probably stoned to death because they thought she was cheating on on, on Joseph. Gabriel saves the day by coming to to Joseph in the dreams. Now it's the real deal. So I can assure you that this in itself, and I absolutely believe that Mary was a virgin and that she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I absolutely believe that. This one tidbit alone... It's referenced just twice that I've mentioned already, Genesis 3 and Isaiah seven fourteen. this virgin birth. The fact that, that, that Jesus was born of a virgin gives him a lot of credibility as being the Messiah. It, it, it speaks out to the prophets are saying, this will be the sign, and it happened. And it wasn't just like a week or two before that. We're, we're talking about you know, literally a, a, a great distance of time was from the time Isaiah said this. To when it actually happened, but it happened just as Isaiah said it would. So in my mind, that gives a great bit of credibility. Here's Micah, here's another prophet. This, not, not Isaiah, this is a different prophet, Micah. He says, You, but, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, the one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old, from old, from ancient times. So Mike is making some huge statements here. He is, he's, he's actually laying the, 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 the roadmap that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And, and then he actually pointed out the preexistence. existence of this Messiah. He said that his origins would be from old, from ancient times. So Micah's saying that a pre-existent Messiah is going to come and be born in Bethlehem. Well, guess what? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And you want to see, see how much control God actually has over the governments of the world? Joseph and Mary weren't from around Bethlehem. They were from Nazareth. Particularly, a, a lady who's late late in her pregnancy would not have wanted to make this trip to Bethlehem. she wouldn't have had no, any reason to. But here's here's the funny thing about the way God does things. Do you realize who, who was the first emperor of Rome? Here's a little here's a little tidbit, sidebar message. When you look at the state of our country, whether we we are a republic, can 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 tyranny set forth or take root in a in a republic? Well, yes. The when Caesar Julius Caesar you know was over Rome, it was the Republic of Rome. Now, all of a sudden, things weren't going so well, and we, now it's an empire. It changes gears, and there's this guy. In fact, I don't even remember his natural name, his born name, but he tells the Roman Senate, I want you to give me the name Augustus. Well, that's, that's a, there's, a, there's a ruler for you. He's telling the Senate what they're going to call him. So this guy, now his name is Caesar Augustus. What does it, Augustus mean? It means exalted one. So this guy who was, when he took over, originally he, he it used to be the Republic of Rome, and now all of a sudden it's the Empire of Rome, and he's telling them, you're going to call me the Exalted One. I am exalted. I am the top dog of the known world. I am, I am, I am the cat's meow. I'm the whole bag of chips. I'm, I'm, I'm all of these things. I am the Exalted One. Well, what, what does Jesus do, or what does the Father do with the Exalted One? He uses him. He uses him to make sure that what was spoken by the prophet Micah came to fruition, that it happened. So Augustus gets his I don't want to. We don't see this, but maybe two or three times. Augustus says, well, I want to know how many people are under me. I'm going, to have, I'm going to have a census. And I'm going to make everybody go back to their, 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 their place of origin and register. I want to know how many people are in my kingdom, in my empire, well, guess what? Mary and Joseph were both from the line of David, and David was from the town of Bethlehem. so this this exalted one, the the, the most high person in the known world, is now making sure that Mary and Joseph gets to Bethlehem in time for the birth of Christ. You know we we think we get. We beat our chests and we think we're so big and we, we're in control and we have all these things. God, God, is, God is in control. Uses this man, Caesar Augustus, to make sure Mary and Joseph get to Bethlehem just in time for Micah 5.2 to be fulfilled. So now we have Jesus who was born of a virgin and born in Bethlehem. The odds of those two things alone I'm not a statistical person, I'm not even a math person, but I'm telling you what, it's probably about the same as getting struck by lightning twice, standing in the same place on the same day, would be my guess. But just just, just, just the, these two things being true would, would, again, give great credibility to who Jesus is. Let's look at somebody else, Hosea. Mind you, this is not, I'm going to reference Isaiah a few times, but this is, these are multiple people over spanses of time. Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. In the original context, he was talking about Moses, in the original context. But was this also about Messiah? Yes, it was. Let me tell you how we know that. Matthew quotes this. Matthew quotes this, this, this passage, uh, what we call Hosea 11.1. 1, out of Egypt I call my son. And people, I have heard in, in, in the world of scholarship and the academy, people criticize Matthew. like, oh, Matthew didn't know what he was talking about. That was, a, that was taking something out of context, and that's something huge. You just don't do that in, in, in the world of scholarship. You never take things out of context. Well, Matt, Matthew took that out of context. He didn't know what he was talking about. That's just Moses. Let me tell you what. Anybody who spends three years walking with Jesus, and I mean just not just not just a kind of a superficial, you know, hey, I, you know, nice to meet you on the road. Somebody who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, was fed by Jesus, spent three years by campfires with Jesus. Let me tell you what, those 12, and I, I don't know, of course I know what, what, what happened with Judas. I, I mean, that was also another prophecy. But anything that came out of the mouths of those 11 I will tell you, I will take over the word of any scholar in modern days because they were taught by the word himself. Jesus said, Jesus said, all the law, the prophets, it's all about me. Jesus was showing the original twelve the the proper context of how he fit in scripture. So when Matthew says, out of Egypt I have called my son, if Matthew applies that to Jesus as well, let me tell you what, you can hang your hat on that. It also applies to Jesus. What is he talking about? Remember the murder, the massacre of the innocents, the murder of the innocents? The the, the wise men come and they stop off and talk to Herod and they're like, you know, hey, Herod, where's the king? We want to bow down and worship him. and Herod's like, well, wait, there was a king? He said, I'll tell you what, once you go find him, once you go find him, come back so that I too can come and worship him. I mean, what was he doing? He, 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 he wanted to take Jesus out, and he wanted to use the wise men to tell him where Jesus was so he could go get them. So now we, we know that, that eventually he says, you know what, I don't think these wise men are coming back. So every, every Hebrew male child to and under, kill them all. So he's sitting there thinking, I'm going, to, I'm going to take out this Jesus. I'm going to take out this guy who they're calling the king of the Jews, this, this, this newborn king, because I'm the king of the Jews. That's, I, that's what Herod's thinking. I'm not going to have this competition, especially by somebody who's not part of my family. It isn't going to happen. And we know that he killed his own, he, he killed people in his family. So he was not, he was not going to let anybody threaten his rule. So he, he goes and he kills all of the Hebrew children, has them killed two and under. But right before that happens, an angel wakes up Joseph again. Again, Joseph is so much the hero in so many of these stories because when God says move, guess what? Joseph moves. When God says this is the truth, God, Joseph accepts it as the truth. I guarantee you that was a big piece of why God chose him to, to help raise his son here on earth. But, but the angel comes to him and says, Hey, you got to get out of here. You got to get out of here. Go to Egypt we got to get you out of here. So he, he packs up Jesus and Mary. And off to Egypt they go. And they stay there until Herod dies. So then what happens? He said, hey, Herod's dead. It's safe to go back home. So out of Egypt, God called his son Jesus and they returned to Nazareth. Do we see a pattern here? The things that the prophets are saying are happening. They're happening with this, with this Jesus. Ezekiel Now let's look at Ezekiel. 37, 24, my servant David will be king over them, and they will all have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. In Ezekiel, God is saying, amongst other places, but God is saying Messiah is going to be coming from the line of David. Here's the beautiful thing about Mary and Joseph. Do you realize they're both from the line of David? (laughs) They both are. We we see we see um, Joseph's genealogy in Matthew, you know. And again, I was talking about that in Sunday school. Of course, Matthew's going to write Joseph's genealogy because it's a very Jewish book. It's it's the most Jewish of the Gospels, and he's going to focus on, on on Joseph. But he, he proves that that Joseph is of the line of David. Well, in Luke, you know, we we see you know Luke is is, is taking he's talking to these first. These, these witnesses, people who were there, we see that in, in the introduction of Luke. And he's talking to Mary, and Mary gives him his or her, rather her genealogy. And guess what? She too is from the line of David. So we, we have throughout the, the, the writings the references of, of how, how Jesus would come from the line of David. and that, This is another prophet, Ezekiel. What's the, what, what is the possibility that Jesus is not the Messiah if we stopped right there? If we stopped right here, what is the likelihood that Jesus isn't Messiah? Let's, let's say that we're posing this argument based just on the birth of Christ, and we're not, we, we, have, we haven't gotten to the crucifixion and all the evidence of the fact that he was raised from the dead. That's another whole sermon. We'll get that at Easter. But I'll tell you what, it, it just if we're talking about the birth of Christ, it's so evident that Jesus is Messiah. He is fitting all the, all the bills here. Isaiah 9, 1 through 2. Here's something Eric used. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, the, the humbled in the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephite, ne, I had just as much trouble saying it, But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Who is the light? This is Eric's sermon. Who is the light? Jesus is the light of the world. Where did he come from? According to Isaiah, Galilee. Where is Nazareth? Galilee. Yeah, we, saw, we talk about Jesus of Nazareth. He's also a Galilean. Nazareth is in Galilee. So now we're talking about Isaiah. He's also nailing down where the, the, the ministry of Christ was going to be birthed out of, of, this, of this, this great light was going to be coming out of Galilee. This is Jesus. Nobody else fits this bill. Nobody ever has, nobody ever will, except for Messiah Jesus, who has already come. Here's Daniel. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. One is like a son of man. What is Daniel seeing? He's seeing somebody who looks like you and me. In Daniel's vision, you realize I've only repeated Isaiah once. These are all different prophets. So now in Daniel's vision, he sees someone who looks like a human. He looks like somebody who appears like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached, he he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Do you realize that no human in this flesh, until you get your glorified body after you're resurrected, can enter the presence of God? of the ancient of days can enter into the presence of God without being zapped like a bug light. That, that that that's that that's that's just the truth in the matter. We see when when Moses says, "Lord, show me your glory." So so he passes by so he just gets to see kind of the backside of God as he passes by. And there's still angels that are like covering him, protecting him from the presence of God. But just the, the tail end of the presence of God made his hair white as snow. And he shined so much that, that, that he had to wear a veil because I imagine he was like a gigantic nightlight. and Nobody wanted to be around him, I would imagine. That's the type of impact being in the presence of God has. You could not be escorted into the presence of the ancient of days unless you were the Son of Man, the Son of God. And he was given authority. It doesn't stop there. And this guy who looks like a human who entered the presence of the Father, it says he was given authority. Glory and sovereign power. Power that, that, that he doesn't have to answer to anybody. He still chooses to obey his father, but he was given sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away, and this kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So this man who appeared human entered into the presence of God and was given ultimate power, authority, and glory by the Father himself. And I know I've mentioned this. What's what's the one title that Jesus refers to himself more than anything else in the Gospels? He calls himself the Son of Man. And it's why, and the people who heard this, and this is where context is so important. If you would have been... In the presence of the first century Pharisees, and you called yourself the son of man, they would know you were saying you were this guy in Daniel. They wanted to kill him because he said that. But it didn't slow him down. He kept calling himself the son of man. So Jesus even fits this bill. He is the son of man. He even identifies himself as the man in, in, in Daniel's vision. Psalm 78, 1 and 2. My people hear my teachings, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old. What did Jesus spend his entire earthly ministry doing in his teaching? He used parables. He used stories that the people he was preaching to would understand. He used parables to explain heavenly things. This is the teaching style of this man, Jesus. He used parables. He talked a lot about agriculture. A lot of his stories involved agriculture because he was talking to an agricultural community. So even the Psalms, even the Psalms was showing that, this, that Jesus would, would explain the things of old using parables if we, we have absolutely crossed the threshold of impossibility, just looking at the birth of Christ that He is anything other than Messiah. Isaiah eight fourteen. I've only got a few more. I said we could do this all day. This, these references to Jesus and His birth and the things we know about Him. That's all. It, it, he's it's peppered. Everywhere across the, 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 the writings, it's, it's, the prophets, the, the teachings, Torah, it's, it's everywhere in the Old Testament. Isaiah eight fourteen. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah, and he will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Let me read something to you. I didn't, I, I didn't, I was just going to explain that. I don't need to. I was reading this in Sunday school. Let's read the words of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She explains this far better than I could. This is, this is Luke 1, verse, starting at verse 46, Mary's song. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state. Of his servant, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name; his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rollers from their thrones, and he has lifted up the humble. He has lifted. Or he's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. So what is this thing? He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. For the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. What is this saying? Jesus upset the apple cart. Jesus caused many to fall, and he rose many up. He, he, he took the system that we, that we would have thought would have been the way that it should have happened, and he just completely put it on his ear. The, the, the people who, who were exalted in, in, in first century Judaism, the, the, the Sanhedrin, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, all of these folks who would have been revered and almost feared by their own people because they were the, they were the theology police. They really were. They were the theology police. They would put on their, their fancy clothes and they would tell you what you were doing wrong. I mean, that was just them. But these folks who were the most exalted in the world of Judaism... He called them broods of vipers. He called them whitewashed tombs. Oh, your words, your words are pretty. You're like a whitewashed tomb. You look nice and clean and and white on the outside, but on the inside, you're nothing but dead bones. So Jesus brought down the proud, and he exalted those that no one else would have revered. Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph, this little couple from the middle of nowhere. Nowhere. The Hebrew people even laughed about Nazareth, not I mean, it's, it was a real thing. Well, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. I mean, it was like a joke even among the Hebrew people. Nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Well, guess what? The king of the world came out of Nazareth. So he exalted Nazareth little Mary and Joseph, to a place of great honor. And he brought down the people that, that, that were respected the most and, and brought them down into a humbling place. He, has, he completely took the system and again put it on its ear. Isaiah is talking about all of these things. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let me tell you what, Jesus fits every one of those things. Wonderful Counselor, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is full of some of the best counsel in the history of the the world. He teaches us how to treat each other. He he counsels us how to honor God. He shows us how to live. He shows us the way that we should go. Mighty God. John chapter 1. I think... Yeah, Eric mentioned that too. Mighty God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was created, anything, everything that was ever created, He created. That makes Jesus mighty God. He created everything that was ever created. Everlasting Father. Jesus said that I am one with the Father. If you've seen Him, you've seen me and vice versa. We're that, we're that connected. The Prince of Peace. We were a world. We were a people hopelessly lost in despair. We just were. There was no hope before Jesus. There just wasn't. And there isn't now without Him. He is the Prince of Peace. Two more and I'll let you out of here, I promise. Psalms 2, 1 through 2. If you remember, I told you I, I, I took that I, I took that Psalms class in seminary. Made my head hurt, but man, it was it was good stuff. One of the things I had learned, I, I don't know how I, I just I'd never heard it before, and now that I've read it, it's everywhere. I guess I was just too, too dumb to see it, or I just wasn't, wasn't reading carefully. Many people consider Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 together as being you know, almost like the preface or the, or the introduction of the Psalms. They, they, they kind of go together. In fact, some people believe that they are actually one chapter. Because remember, we put the chapters and the pericope in there. That's not, that's not the way it was written. But in what is kind of the preface of the Psalms, the Psalms, you can't get any deeper than the Psalms. The Psalms, you find comfort, you find peace, you find hope. It's full of Jesus. There are so many messianic, messianic prophecies in, the, in, in Psalms. In Psalms 2, 1 through 2, it says this, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth will rise up in the roller's band together against the Lord and against his anointed. Who's his anointed? Jesus saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them with his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Let me tell you what—you could do an entire sermon just on this one passage. It is so full of Jesus. The whole dashing—you know—it's—it's revelation. I mean, it's—it's—it's still coming. The, 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 thing that, the thing that jumps out at me about this is that he, God has installed his king in Zion, and he's called him his son. Do you realize, in fact, there's, there's another passage in 2 Samuel that, where, where, where he literally talks about his son being flogged at, at the hands of humans. So there's at least two references off the top of my head where I know where the Old Testament so clearly states that God has a son. Well, I'll tell you what, that is one of the greatest arguments in, in first century Judaism, and probably for, for, the, for the, more, uh, the more traditional Jewish folks of the day, it's probably still one of their greatest arguments that, that, that with monotheism, one God, that, that God having a son violates this, this concept of monotheism. So God can't have a son. Well, we know that's not true. We know that that the Bible calls them the Godhead. They are one God. They're the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The fact that God has a son does not violate monotheism. So so in the Shema, when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one, Jesus fits in that. Jesus is part of the Lord God is one. He He doesn't violate that. He's part of that. So for anybody who would say, well, this can't can't be true because God doesn't have a son, well, the Old Testament at least twice says God has a son. And it says it in Psalms 2, 1 through 2, the introduction to one of the most significant collections of psalms, the most significant collection of psalms in the history of the world. One more. He will raise a banner for the nations and gather the exiles of Israel. He will assemble the scattered people of Judah from the four corners, the four quarters of the earth. Can I tell you this is actually still happening now? Jesus is still gathering the Hebrew people and calling them back to to their, their, their homeland. There has been such a great returning of of the Hebrew people to the the Holy Land. this, This isn't just something that just started like a week or two ago. Because of significant oppression in various places in the world, Israel has actually been helping Jewish people come back to Israel. So this is something that's still going on. He's still drawing his his, his people back to the place where he chooses the return. You you, you really do have to keep an eye on Israel. The Abrahamic promises. Mind you, the new covenant has final say on everything. But here's the thing with the new covenant. It it exists. It coexists with the Abrahamic covenant. It doesn't void it. They they exist together. So when you still bless the Hebrew people, God still blesses you. If you curse them, he still curses you. But he still has, God still has this close relationship with the with the people of Israel. So much so that when Jesus returns, when he splits the sky, where does he put his foot down? The Mount of Olives. Where is he coming back to? Where he left. He's going back to Israel and he's calling his people back there. There's the living word. The Christmas story. Emmanuel has come, the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords has come. Messiah, the promised one, he's come. The anointed one, he's come. The son of man, he's come. He is all of these things. It is impossible for anyone to fulfill everything that Jesus has fulfilled Invalidated by a very reliable text. 66 books. 66 books point to Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. 66 books point to my Jesus as being the Ancient of Days. 66 books point to my Jesus as being my strong tower my banner who goes before me. 66 books tell me that in Deuteronomy, when it says that God goes before me and makes the way safe, 66 books tell me that Jesus is that one who goes before me and keeps me safe. Let me tell you what, if you've ever called on the name of the Lord and you're a believer and the Holy Spirit lives on you, the devil has nothing more in his heart, more desire than to take you down. So when you keep coming here and you keep coming back here alive, that says that your God has gone before you and made your way safe. That is who my Jesus is, the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Ancient of Days. The holy place, the holy mountain. There's so many names, and they're all this one Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The name that is above all names. Why? Is Jesus, the name above all names. Why his God? God gets to decide in his sovereignty what name is above every other name. God gets to make that decision and God chose the name that is above all other names is Jesus. Well, what does it mean? It means God saves. That God is my salvation. So of everything that God wants you to know, Everything that God wants you to know about him is wrapped up in the name that he gave Emmanuel. It is in the name that says, I save. I am your salvation. You can be saved from an eternity of damnation. You can be saved from a a, a pointless life. You can be saved from yourself. You can be saved from your sins. You can be saved from everything that brings you down because God has this message, I am your salvation and I have called my son by that very name. That is the message of Christmas. Christmas. The fact that he came is an integral part of that, and it's important. But the message of Christmas is in the name. God saves. I am your rock and your salvation. That is the true message of Christmas. You can't make it any other way. can't make it any other way. You can't self-help yourself into it. You can't religion yourself into it. You can't, you can't build you know, some great tower like the Tower of Babel. Like I'm going to get there and reach God. You can't do it. There's no other way but through the salvation that was given to us when Jesus came. There's no other way to make it than that salvation that was bought, not even in a manger, but on the cross, roughly 33 years later.